You are now listening to the London International Christian Church Podcast. Well, you guys are sounding like you're ready to worship today. Turn to Revelation chapter 5. We're going to dig on into our study today. You know, I'm encouraged that we have so many friends and family and uh, relatives and, uh, dare we say, neighbors on out today. And uh, if there's one thing that uh, we really believe in is what the Bible teaches about love. At the end of the day, it's all about love. Uh, loving one another. And not just loving one another because we are the same socioeconomic status. Not loving one another because we're from the same tribe. You're Yoruba, I'm Yoruba, I guess I love you. Not because we're from the same country even, but because of the sacrifice of Jesus. We got to love one another. Now, I want to do something that may be a little uncomfortable here uh, if you're not used to experiencing love. But our church is about love. And uh, I know we have a lot of you that are visiting for the first time. And uh, if I could have those of you that are visiting and, well... Maybe it's your first time, or maybe you're you're not necessarily formally a member. If you can, at this particular time, just stand on up right there. If you can stand on up, it's okay. Stand on up. Stand on up. As is our custom, we really believe that at this particular time, as a, as a church, we're going to sing to you. We're going to sing a song that really highlights what we're all about. We love you with the love of the Lord. We love you with the love of the Lord. We sing you the glory of our King. And we love you with the love of the Lord. Amen, amen. Okay, you can be seated right there. We got about two more verses that go with that, but I didn't want to put you, put you too much there on the spot. Hopefully you're in Revelations chapter 5. You know, uh, we're going to dig on in here, but uh, we had an incredible Bible discussion at Middlesex University. And, uh, you know, this Bible discussion was a little, little, little radical, dare we say. And it was a little different than the typical Bible discussion. Because it pointed out uh, something that's been an epidemic, not only, I believe, around the world, but here in the U.K. And, uh, of course, uh, we, we started talking about a few things at Middlesex University. And uh, folks heard about the discussion and said, we got to hear that again. And so today's sermon today is kind of a piggybacking off of that discussion. And, of course, the discussion was about horse meat. And so the title of the discussion was simply horse meat, the stakes are just a little bit too high. And so today's Bible study is going to be entitled horse meat, the stakes are just too high. Now, before we dig on in, we understand that, of course, it's been Tesco that was kind of first nailed for having horse meat in some of their their product right there. And, of course, you know, first they said there were only traces of horse meat. Then they say there were larger percentages of horse meat. And then, before you know it, a few weeks, 100% horse meat. And then, before you know it, even Burger King coughs out, okay, we've been putting horse meat in our burgers. So everybody is, I mean, it's made national headlines. And of 
course, it's made even international headlines. And so I just put together some of the new marketing slogans that maybe Tesco may have uh, adopted given the fact that horse meat is in their menu nowadays. Marketing slogan number one, Tesco, everything you want from a store and a little bit mayor. Mayor. Mike, Michael Hart thought of that one right there. That was not me, guys. Number two. You think Tesco horse burgers are bad? You should try their quarter pandas. Pandas, quarter pandas right there. Oliver Greenwood, he's, he's responsible for that one right there. I hear they are putting unicorn in their veggie burgers too. Unicorn, the corn right there. Brother Blaze is responsible for that one right there. Of course, one man who worked at Tesco says, my boss won't do anything about my long hours working in the butcher. I complain, I complain, I complain, but it's like beating a dead horse. I'm responsible for that when I am. And lastly, for years people have said, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse with Tesco. Your dreams have now come true. Revelations chapter 5. Nobody wants any horse meat. Nobody wants any hypocrisy. You don't want to be told you're getting fed the right thing. And then you find out it's just a bunch of horse meat. Revelations chapter 5. Verse 6. It says, Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into the earth. He came and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, the prayers of the disciples. The Bible says right here, if you are truly praying, that it is like an incense going up to God, an aroma pleasing to God, and it's in a bowl and he's holding it right there. God doesn't forget your prayers. Verse 9. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. With your blood, you purchase men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and the church said right here he just simply shows this incredible vision and then he just simply says that that God that Jesus died for every man every, every nation every tribe and that it was the cost of his own blood that purchased the souls of men there we say that's not a cheap cost to be willing to give your entire Life for the souls of men, sinful men and women. Turn to Matthew chapter 26. Horse meat, the stakes are just too high. You know, I was asked during our discussion, what do you think the reason that these companies are using horse meat instead of the real thing? Why are they doing it? Well, the answer is very seat. Or very, 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 very obvious. It's it's cheap, yeah. and it's convenient. Yeah. It's cheap to use this horse meat instead of the real thing. 
cheap. And it's very convenient. And that's our first point. Cheap and convenient. We learn right away that Jesus didn't die cheap. We learn right away that your soul is not cheap. We learn right away that, that, that the lives of our kids, they're, they're not cheap lives. And we understand. I really believe there's a lot of horse meat out there. There's a lot of talking about the real thing, but really, when you put the DNA test, when you take the word of God and you match it up to it, you find that there's traces of some horse meat. I had a lot of horse meat in my life. <laughs> a lot of hypocrisy. And it took the word of God to expose that. Cheap and convenient. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. I love this passage here. Starting in verse 17. Jesus says this. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? I mean, the disciples are always fired up to eat. Amen? And of course, after service today, we're going to have ourselves a feast right there. And I can assure you, at least to my knowledge, there'll be no horse meat in the, in, in the meals right there. I'm being honest right there, guys. But of course, right here, this is the Passover. Now, you say, what is the Passover? Of course, in the Old Testament, the Bible teaches right there that there would be a death angel that would come and pronounce judgment on God's people. But in the Old Testament, what, what they were told to do is take the blood of a slain lamb and put it on the doorpost of your home. Once you put that blood on the doorpost, when the death angel came, when judgment came, that angel would pass on over because you had that blood covering your house. And of course, that's the Old Testament foreshadowing of what happens in the New Testament as a spiritual reality. Yes. We don't put blood over our doorpost, but it is the blood of Jesus that saves us so that when the death angel comes, when judgment comes, Jesus' blood covers over you. And you are right. Now, we think the death angel is just going to come at some particular time when some meteor is going to strike our, our, our nation or something like Russia here that's happened. No, the death angel comes when you die. When you die. And you've got to have that blood coming over you so that the death angel passes over and you are saved. Verse 18. He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him. Teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. The disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover when evening came. Jesus was reclining at a table with the twelve. While they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad. They began to say to him, one after the other, surely not I, Lord. I mean, that's just like us. Not me. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The son of man will go. Just that it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it. Gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. 
This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of its fruit of the vine from now. I tell you, I will not drink of its fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives and the church said, of course, this is such a powerful scripture right here of Jesus really highlighting what the communion is all about. They had this great, incredible meal. Of course, Judas is the one to betray Jesus right here. And Jesus is trying to set them up to help them to understand the price of commitment that it, they would have to pay, but that he would have to pay. And that's, that's what this meal was about. It wasn't just, hey, let's just have this little friendly little barbecue right here with peri-peri chicken and just hang out and have some religious talk. Jesus was trying to set up the cost of salvation and trying to help them realize what it was all going to cost them. Verse 36, then Jesus went with the disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. I mean, Jesus starts to feel some things about the cost. And so he turns to God in prayer. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and they began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. See, Jesus struggled with the cost of what it would take to save every single one of us. He struggled. He, he, it was just a challenge for him to think about us and think about what it would cost them to save our souls. And so he went to God in prayer. Going a little farther. That was the face of the ground. He prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them praying just like Jesus Christ. No, they're sleeping. You ever done that one? Yeah. You get overwhelmed by life and you just go, I just want to take a nap. <laughs> get overwhelmed by the finances. I just want to go to sleep. I don't even want to think about it. Get overwhelmed with the kids. You can't go to sleep if you got a little baby Mia Grace right there. Uh, we've got little Mia and she's beautiful, but at about three o'clock in the morning, boy, she sure does let us know. Uh, but we are very grateful because she's been sleeping through the night now. He tells them to stop sleeping. And we understand that we are living in a world where people are sleeping. They're sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and he prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and he went away once more and prayed a third time saying the same thing. I mean, Jesus went to God three times because he understood the cost. Then he returned to the disciples and he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour's near. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. And we stop right there. We understand what happens in chapter 27, Judas hangs himself. And then we, we understand at the end of chapter 27, Jesus Christ, of course, is crucified. He is murdered. He's tortured. And he's tortured for our souls. Our souls. I want to ask you, do, do you serve a Jesus that's cheap? 
you serve a Jesus that doesn't demand from you everything he gave to you? Do you serve a God that doesn't call for your total commitment? Do you serve a God that's convenient? I did. I was taught that God is a convenience. When you're going through things, turn to God. He'll he'll fix it on up for you. And then once your life is fixed on up, you can keep going on looking at your pornography, Michael. You can keep going on uh, lying to your job. You can keep going on with your bitterness that you have in your family. You can keep going on pretending that those... You can just keep pretending with all this horse meat in your life. Serving your God of convenience. Not wanting to pay the real price of what it really means to seek God with all your heart. And yet we understand that Jesus died for us. But more importantly, those who followed Jesus, the apostles, they paid the ultimate price. Of course, in Acts chapter 7, we know that Stephen was one of the first martyrs. He was killed because of his commitment to tell people the truth. We know that James, son of Zebedee, he was called James the Great. In 44 AD, his head was cut off because of telling people the truth. We know that Philip, another one of the apostles, he was whipped and beaten, and like Jesus, he also was crucified. History tells us that Matthew was slain with an with a halberd. And of course he was he was in Ethiopia preaching at this time. You say, what's a halberd? A halberd is a it's a pole that has that that, that sickle, it's kind of a almost like an axe, but it has a circular, kind of a half circle, and then it has this point on top. They cut his head off with one of those things. James, the brother of Jesus, he lived to be about 94 years old. But because of telling people the real truth, they bashed his brains out. That's the cost that he paid. We know that Matthias, who was chosen to replace Judas in Acts chapter 1, he was stoned and then his head was cut off. We know that Andrew, brother of Peter, he preached in Asia. And of course, he was crucified in a very interesting way. That's where you get St. Andrew's cross because of the interesting way he was crucified on the cross. We understand that Mark was Jewish, converted by Peter. And the way that Mark paid the ultimate price is they dragged him to death. They didn't crucify him. They didn't beat him. They just dragged him until he died. Of course, Peter was crucified upside down. He didn't even believe he was counted worthy to die like Jesus. And so he was crucified, but upside down. Bartholomew. Of course, he translated the gospel in India. Again, beaten and crucified. Doubting Thomas also preached in India. He died by getting speared to death. We understand that John, who wrote the very book of Revelations, did not die of a type of martyrdom. But we understand that he was put in a basin of boiling oil and boiled to death. Because of preaching the true doctrine of what it means to follow Jesus. He was put in a basin of boiling oil and boiled to death. The crazy thing is he didn't die. He comes out of it and everyone in the Colosseum at that time saw that he didn't die. And they went, wow, I want to follow that God. And history says many people became true disciples, true Christians. 
course, at that time, John was sentenced to the islands of Patmos, where he penned the book of Revelations. You can do the most incredible thing for the Lord under the most severe pain possible. He penned the book of Revelations after going through the most intense thing one could go through. And he died of natural causes. And then, of course, I love Simon the Zealot. Because he not only preached in Africa, but he also preached right here in Great Britain. And he was crucified in 74 A.D. Were any of those deaths cheap? I don't think so. I don't think so. What challenged me about joining our church is the men that sat down and got into my life and demanded everything. Called me to give up everything. Use the word of God to point out the horse meat in my life. The horse meat excuses. And sadly, because of the horse meat in my life, I, I, I sadly went to a church that didn't call it on out. I sadly went to a church that had horse meat even in the very doctrine that was taught to me. And when the DNA test came, when the Bible came, it, it, it was challenging to embrace it. But of course, January... 2000, I got baptized in the Christ right there. I got baptized in the Christ. You know, uh, we are a movement of churches around the world. And I'm so encouraged. One of our churches that we've recently planted is in Mexico City. And, uh, of course, Mexico City is rated one of the most dangerous places to, to live in the world. And we sent an incredible mission team down there. We sent a young man I know, Victor Gonzalez Jr. He's about 24 years old, 25. Uh, they have about three new kids. Um, his wife is 20, Aurora's 24, I believe. A uh, very young couple. Uh, they went down there to plant a church. And they gave up everything, their comfort. They went down there, they planted the church, and they took some members to plant the church because Mexico City has to have the gospel. The gospel's got to be all around the world. Are you guys with me there? They get down there, a young woman begins preaching. She begins sharing her faith, calling it on out, telling people what it really means to be a disciple. And one day she gets on the train, headed back home. And unfortunately, in Mexico City, they have men's trains and women trains. Unbeknownst to her, she got on a men's train. And then the unthinkable happened. Men sat there and watched while another man raped her. She was raped. She came back to our our church in Los Angeles, California. Of course, Los Angeles kind of serves as our our Jerusalem, dare we say. And, you know, she she was just distraught. She she got with the leaders and talked about what it really meant and, and, and how it shook her and how it messed her up. And then she just says, you know, I, I don't want to let this tragedy define me. Wow. Come on, come on. I'm going back. Wow. And she went back. She's going back down to Mexico City to join the church down there. <clears throat> That's not a horse meat commitment if you ask me. What are you willing to pay? What are you willing to pay? You willing to sacrifice your life in that way? You willing to go anywhere, do anything, and give up everything? I mean, I I think of this young woman who could have used this to be angry at God, but she saw that God was sovereign. In other words, God, everything in your life that happens, God either allows it or he makes it happen. He is sovereign. And when you understand that God is sovereign, 
You understand everything happens underneath his hand, and she's going back down there. Why? She doesn't serve a cheap Jesus. She doesn't serve a cheap Jesus. I know many that would say, I don't want to follow a God that would allow something like that to happen in my life. Let me go find a different God. Not the real thing. Yet this is the level of commitment it's going to take to put the gospel around the world. You know, if you're visiting with us, we we really believe sacrificing financially to build a great church so that we can really go after those who don't know the gospel here. And uh, of course, we we have our 15 times missions contribution coming on up. Uh, You say, what's that? Well, we we all give 10% of our income, of course, and this is a time where we give 15 times that in one week just so that we can send out churches and build an incredible discipling church that can really preach the word right there. And uh, if we're going to make disciples of every nation, it's not going to be a cheap thing. By faith, you're fired up about our special missions contribution. You're excited to really be able to sacrifice. You think of stories like this young woman and you go, wow, what's my excuse? Unless I want a cheap and convenient horse meat type of Jesus. You know, we're going to have our European Missions Conference November 7th through the 10th right here in London, England. Amen? And, uh, you know, last year we had an incredible conference. We had people from all around the world come. And it was awesome. But th- this year we said we, we got to do something that really is amazing. That really, that really, dare we say, costs a little bit more. And so it's, it's, it's great to, to know that we've secured uh, an incredible location for our conference. Uh, it's going to be at Canary Wharf this year. So uh, it's, it's, it's an incredible uh, place down there. We're, we're excited for that. But it's, it's not going to be a cheap conference. It's going to cost a little bit more. Prayerfully, you're ready to make that sacrifice to give a little bit more. I want to lift the church on up for just giving financially so that we can support the work here. You know, today really marks the first day that the church really uh, understands that uh, we have full-time staff that work for the church. But today marks the, the, the first day of our one of our youngest uh, staff members that's on a two-month contract working for the church. This is a man who had absolutely no faith, who did not believe in God, who came to faith by looking at the lives of the brothers and sisters, read the Holy Scriptures, got a little accountability and discipling, and this is the young man, Jamal, who's now an intern in the church. faith, the God you serve doesn't ask for a cheap commitment and a convenient commitment. Horse meat. Number two, turn to Ezekiel chapter three. You are what you eat. You are what you eat. Ezekiel chapter three, verse one. And he said to me, son of man, eat what is before you. That won't be a challenge this afternoon as the food comes out for the campus ministry right there. They'll pull out this scripture and even use it right there. It says, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll. Then go and speak to the house of Israel. Of course, those are the Christians. So I opened my mouth. And he gave me a scroll to eat. Then he said to me, son of man, eat this scroll I am giving you. And fill your stomach with So I ate it. And it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. Said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel. Speak my words to them. You are not to be sent to a people of obscure speech and difficult language, but to the house of Israel. 
not to many people of obscure speech and difficult language whose words you cannot understand. Surely, if I had sent you to them, they would have not listened to you. But the house of Israel is not willing to listen to you because they are not willing to listen to me. For the whole house of Israel is hardened and obstinate. But I will make you as unyielding and hardened as they are. I will make your forehead like the hardest of stone. Harder than flint. But don't be afraid of them or terrified by them. Though they are a rebellious house. And we stop right there. Right here, God comes to Ezekiel and he, and he pronounces there's going to be judgment on God's people. Of course, Israel, the house of Israel, God's people. And he tells him to, to, to go... Number one, you've got to accept it. You've got to eat the scroll. You've got to believe the word of God yourself. Then you've got to go tell everybody about it. And of course, we know that Ezekiel wound up doing that. He did that. If we're going to change this world, we've got to be a people that believe in the word of God. We've got to eat the word of God got to accept it ourselves and of course this one here is judgment we, we understand there's judgment we understand there's a heaven and there's a hell we, we understand it. that we know that and if we don't know that of course the book of ecclesiastes says god puts eternity in the hearts of men that means that every single man whether you're a christian or not you think about heaven and you think about hell you think about your eternity no matter whether someone does a bible study with you or not why because god put that thought there and god created you to talk about something I really believe the world needs something we need to eat Matthew chapter 18 you guys still with me here trying to give you the real beef here no horse meat Matthew chapter 18 let's see if you guys are ready to eat this scroll here we're going to test you here Matthew 18 Verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? <laughs> Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And then he goes on giving this long discourse. And then he says, down in verse 35, he says, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. You are what you eat. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? The Bible teaches you can't be saved if you're not willing to forgive all the sins that have been done to you in this life. Are you willing to forgive? You willing to forgive? Forgiveness is a challenging topic for me. But I had to embrace it to be a true Christian. By, at age 14, I went through quite a, quite a rough time. My mother and my stepdad, they divorced, and I was abandoned. Um, my mother went from an incredible mom to a drug addict overnight. Um, it, it, it just was shocking. Uh, we lost our, our home. We lost all of our cars. Uh, before you know it, I was a homeless kid on the street. Um, I was very angry because I was a very good student. Uh, I was a top athlete. Uh, there was nothing going wrong in my life as a young man, at least from my perspective, yet this tragedy had happened. And I was angry at my mother, and I was angry at God. 
In fact, don't you talk to me about God. Don't, don't, don't say anything to me about God. And that anger festered in my heart and it led to multiple adult, just, just immoral relationships over and over and over. Adult bookstores, lying, deceit, cheating on my taxes, that anger, feeling like, God, you owe me. That anger in my heart. And when I saw that I had to forgive my mother for what she had did, I, I just, I didn't even want to talk about it. I didn't want to talk about it. It was too deep. It was too painful. But thank God for for God's church, for true disciples that didn't feed me horse meat. They didn't tell me it's okay to be angry. It's okay not to forgive. The Bible doesn't say that. You've got to forgive from your heart. Not just mentally, but from the heart. There's about six degrees from radical. The distance from your head to your heart. I forgave my mother. In fact, my mother is one of my heroes. She's one of my heroes. She went through a lot. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for her. I want to ask you today, are you willing to eat the scroll of forgiveness? Are you willing to eat the scroll of forgiveness? I mean, I look around, I, I know there's so many lives and I, there's so much that, that probably has happened to so many of us. And we've been sinned against. And I tell you, some of us have sinned against a lot of people. We've taken a lot of hits, but you put some hits on some other people. And when I was able to see that all the hits that were put on me by my mom were not good, but that I put a lot of hits on Jesus, my sin crucified Jesus, then I was able to go, oh, wow. I've hurt people just as bad as my mom hurt me. And I had to forgive. Who do you need to forgive today? Are you willing to eat that squirrel? You are what you eat. You are what you eat. Eat the scroll of bitterness, you'll be bitter. All your life. Eat the scroll of anger, you'll be angry all your life. You are what you eat. Matthew chapter 15. You guys still with me here? Matthew 15. Check this one out here. one says then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem I mean these guys traveled all the way to Jerusalem from Jerusalem just to give Jesus a hard time says they travel all the way from Jerusalem and they ask why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders they don't wash their hands before they eat Jesus replied why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might have otherwise received from me is a gift devoted to God, he's not to honor his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrite! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. We stop right there. Of course, you say, well, what was happening right here? Well, the Jews had developed all these extra laws that were not in the Bible over the course of years. So many that they had developed about 600 new laws that were not in the Bible. One of those laws was called Corbin. And Corbin meant, hey, there was 
no benefits or social security back then. So, you know, you, if your parents got old, it was up to you as a, as a, as a, as a son or a daughter to take care of your parents. It was your responsibility. You didn't just get your life and forget about your, your family in their old age. It, you guys with me there? That's a good lesson for us nowadays as well. But what the Pharisees were saying, oh, just don't, don't pay for your, don't take care of your family. Just give that money to the temple. We'll call it Corbin. And let God take care of your family. And so what was happening is they were nullifying the word of God for the sake of their tradition. Putting tradition over the word of God. There are about about five or six signs of horse meat when it comes to your relationship with God. It says it right there in verse 7. He calls them hypocrites, number one. He says, these people honor me with their lips. You pay God lip service. Number two. says, your hearts are far from me. You're not close to God. You think so, but you're far. Verse nine, he says, your worship is in vain. And, and lastly, your rules are just rules taught by men. Whenever we put tradition over the word of God, we get ourselves in trouble. We go, yeah, I understand. Yet it says it right there. You put the word of God first over tradition. But you know what can really mess us up? It isn't so much that we aren't willing to take a tradition and submit it to the word of God. But what about your culture? What about your culture? You willing to take your culture and submit it to the word of God? To go, awesome, this is great, this was a part of my culture, but where is it in the Bible? You know, when that, that was a challenging teaching for me. I was brought up and I thought the church was supposed to be all black. <laughs> then I read the Holy Bible. And I realized that you're not going to have the black cloud up there. You're not going to have, you know, the black cloud with the R&B and all that. You get, then you got the Irish cloud over here with the Celtic thing going on right here. <laughs> then you got the English cloud and they're kicking a football while they're in heaven right there. You got the American cloud, they're just the greediest, everyone's obese. And then a few people are working out. I mean, Nigerian cloud, you got peri-peri chicken on up there. I mean, you're not going to have all these different clouds. One cloud. One cloud. That means you got to have relationships from all nations. That means the church should be filled with all nations. And if it's not, there's horse meat in the church. This is the wrong teaching. The church is not supposed to be one nation. It's supposed to be all nations. God's church is called to go to all nations and to have all nations in it. And, you know, even us here, you know, we, we've had an incredible time building a great church here. We've had an incredible time. But we got to get to all nations. we got every single nation. That's got to be our attitude. Otherwise, we'll become traditional Christians. And traditional Christians, their hearts are far from God. They don't think so, but they're far. Their worship is in vain. You are what you eat. Are you willing to eat that squirrel right there? Are you willing to eat that squirrel? Turn to Psalms chapter 34, number three. I want to challenge you to eat soul food. Come on, bro. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not I, spiritual soul food. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not going traditional here on you. I'm not putting my culture in there. I'm just soul food. Psalm chapter 34, 
that we're on the topic, I, I like soul food. It's pretty good. Amen, bro. We got an Irishman who likes soul food as well. See, soul food is good food. Psalms chapter 34, verse 4. It says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. What about those who don't? He says he delivers them. Taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the man or woman who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you saints, you Christians. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lion may go weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And the church said, is that not awesome? He just says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You may be visiting for the first time. We, we, God is good. God is awesome. God has given me friendships I would have never had. God has given me, give, give, given me relationships I would have never been able to, to develop on my own. God has given me an incredible family. The Lord has been good to me. I, I didn't want to taste. I, I, I preferred that horse meat. But then I, I said, okay, I'm, I'm going I'm I'm to sample Jesus. If you're visiting for the first time, I, I, I want to challenge you to sample the real God. Set up with someone afterwards today and, and do a Bible study. And taste and see that the Lord is good. Turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. We're talking about food because, I mean, hey, food is so important to us. You, you, I mean, you can't live without food. It, it dominates the world we live in. I mean, I looked at the uh, the World Health Organization that's in uh, Geneva, Switzerland. They say there are 300 million obese people in the world and 1 billion people are overweight. Uh, this statistic is intense because most of the people that are eating the wrong thing are eating things like fast food. Food that has no nutritional value. Fast food. Burger King. Fizzy drinks, candy, chips, frozen dinners, and of course, alcohol. These are things that have no nutritional value. And I really believe that they can even be in our spiritual diet now, where we're just eating the wrong things and they're hurting us. Turn to John. If you're in John 6, look at verse 51. Check this out. Jesus makes one of the seven I am statements that he makes throughout the Bible. And this is actually the first one. It says in John chapter 6, verse 51. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh 
which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply amongst themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats the flesh and drinks the blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is real food, my blood is real drink. Whoever eats the flesh and drinks the blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your fathers ate the manna and died. But he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. On hearing it, many of the disciples said, this is an amazing teaching. Thank you. We totally accept it. No. This is a hard teaching. Who can, Even the disciples struggled. Aware that his disciples were going about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? The Greek right there means make bitter. He says, do you get bitter about the, this? <laughs> he says, what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. But Jesus had known from the beginning which one of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is how I told you, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. We stop there. What was Jesus saying? Number one, he compared himself to bread. Bread is essential. In fact, one can live on bread and water for several, several, for a very, very long time. Just from a human standpoint, you can live on bread and water. In fact, there are many Jews at that time that were very poor and that, that's what they lived on. So this, this really meant something when he said, I am the bread of life. I am that which is essential. But then he says the bread of life. Not just this life. The bread of eternal life. So he says, I am essential for eternal life. That's what Jesus is saying. He said, I, I am I'm the bread of eternal life. I am essential. You need me to go to heaven. You need me. You got to have me. Someday, we will all have to face the day where we will, we will either go to heaven or we will not. And today, I, I just want to challenge you. There, there, there's so many teachings out there that are filled with horse meat. There's so many individuals that may not even sincerely understand that there's even horse meat in their life. the stakes are too high your salvation means everything I'm in this because I want to go to heaven can I get an amen on that I'm in this not just to come and play church I want to go to heaven I want my kids to go to heaven I want my friends to go to heaven I want other people to go to heaven I'm in this because I I want I, I need God I need him And when we need God, it means we need one another. If there's one thing I can just say here in London, people need each other. People, we we pretend we don't. We sit there on the two. 
We have to get in an argument just so we can have some friendship right there. I said, it was the funniest thing yesterday. I saw this woman and she was, she was very lonely and like this. And in this group, they were sitting there and everybody's going like this and they're quiet. It's like this. You got a hundred people and you, you can hear a pat, a, a, a rat walk on some cotton right there. It's got a hundred people in the two members. And this woman, she gets on and she goes to sit in between this family and they go, why are you sitting? And they just get in this intense argument for nothing. And then before you know it, about 20 minutes, they're laughing and everything and they're having a great time. And I said, wow, she, she just wanted, she just, she just wants some fellowship. She's just lonely. And the people were obviously lonely as well. They actually had to have a fight just so that they could have some friendship. Wow. That's how people. We need God and we need each other. We need each other. I want to challenge you today. One more time. Sit down with the individual that brought you on out. Take the DNA test. See if there is horse meat in your view of a godly marriage. See if there is horse meat in your view of what it really means to be a disciple. Jesus never made a Christian. He made disciples. Christians only use three times in the Bible. Disciple is used 279 times. Sit down and see if there's horse meat in your view of God. See if there's horse meat in your view of the church. The church is not to be perfect. The church is to be faithful. Because if the church was perfect, none of us would be in it, would we? And so today, I've just entitled the lesson simply, Horse Meat. Take the test. The stakes are too high. To God be the glory. We would like to thank you for listening to that episode of the podcast. If you would like video versions of these episodes, whether it's sermon highlights or interviews, feel free to check us out on our website or view them on our YouTube channel. That's londonchurch.org.uk. That's L O N D. O-N-C-H-U-R-C-H dot org dot U-K And for all other updates and information Whether it's services, events or devotionals You can find all that on our website also Once again we'd like to thank you for listening And we'll catch you on the next one